Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Everybody's getting out of their car, wanting to park under the awning out front. It 
Rod Dunphy said, would it be all right? I said, sure, but those three people behind you might push your car out of the way. <laughs> it's good to have everybody here this morning. Even if it is raining. I'm sure we played in the rain at one time or another, but we'll, we'll be fine. A couple, three things before we begin this morning. After services this morning, we'll like to invite everyone here for lunch as soon as we finish. If you're visiting and you haven't eaten, you need to do so. These ladies can cook. And my mother's pie is not very good this morning. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I don't even know what it is, but I can tell by the crust. But anyway, you're all, every, everyone's invited. Follow up on the... Uh, family life groups. We're working on those. We hope to have everything finished by the end of this month. If you're not on the list, see the list. See one of the elders. We have some new people. We'd like to get everyone on our list. This is uh, so we can uh, have our life groups again, have some meetings and, and get togethers and get to know each other better. We plan on having this finished end of August where we can have everything, and this goes along with our directory also. Of course, David can't hear me. David, picture directory. How much longer? Pretty close. Pretty close. Okay, by the end of the month. Okay, we had to wait on the new printer to come in. It came in last week. What was it? Gary said it's been gone. It's been so long. Just send it back or something like that. Yeah, it wasn't still new. Yeah, it's still, it was in transit. But anyway, but anyway, follow up with that. Also, you'll see some things on the flooding in Kentucky. Uh, any donations you have, we usually send those to Nashville Disaster Relief Churches of Christ out of Nashville. If you want to give, just mark it and put it in the box or hand it to one of the elders or John, or and, and we'll take care of that. Those people, as we all know, are, went through something that I don't think we've went through. The water we had five, six years ago in the middle of the summer I don't think was as bad as this or 97 flood when there was 20 people that lost their lives in Kentucky. So keep those people in your prayers. Before we begin this morning, I'd like to read Ephesians 4, first six verses, if you'd like to follow along. Ephesians 4, first six verses. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, gentleness, and longsuffering, bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we're thankful for this day, beautiful day of life that you've given us for the rain, for our health, our strength, for our family here at Rome. We ask that you bless us in this worship service to you. 
We pray the things we do in accordance with your will and pleasing unto you. Bless each and every one that's made an effort to be here this morning. We're thankful for that. We ask your blessings on those people in Kentucky that watch over them and that uh, things can be uh, back to normal as as soon as possible in that area. We're thankful that we have the avenue to come and pray to you to ask for things, and we appreciate it. Give us strength and courage. Be with John as he leads us through the singing. Be with Chris as he presents us with a lesson, and watch over us as we surround that table. Forgive us, Father. In thy son's name we pray, and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? We have a uh, children's Bible hour worship er uh, period while Brother Chris is preaching to us, and it's for four years old through the third grade, and it will be meeting in the multipurpose room today, but that'll be after communion and as Brother Chris prepares to preach. So children's Bible hour is for four years old through the third grade, and that'll be later on this morning. All things praise thee, Lord, Please be seated. Next hymn this morning, number 547, Rejoice the Lord is King. After this hymn, Brother Andrew Miller will have our scripture reading and prayer. Savior, praise the Lord. 
Apparently, the way that one's written in this one is not the way it is in the book. So, if you're trying to read the music, it would have been kind of hard. <clears throat> okay, Brother Andrew, this time. The scripture reading for today is from Psalm 117. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and his faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. you bow with me, please? Dear Lord, thank you for the state you've given us today, Lord, the, the rain and sunshine that you've blessed us with and everything that you've given us, Lord. I thank you for uh, bringing us here today to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord. And I pray that you'll uh, bless us as we sing songs of praise and hear a lesson from Chris, Lord. I pray that you'll uh, just watch over us and help us to praise you. In a way that, uh, in the way that you call us to, Lord, and I ask all this in your Son's name, Amen. Next time this morning, number five hundred eleven, five hundred eleven. Off we come together. Oft we come
So apparently yesterday was Friends Day, National Friends Day. So we've chosen today as Friends Day here at Rome. So if you're visiting with us, we're happy to have you. You're entirely welcome. So as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper this morning, let's expound upon this theme of friends, friendship, a little bit more. Most of us have many acquaintances and very few friends. Even the friends that we have may sometimes prove to be unfriendly at times, uh, even unfaithful. Even a devoted friend can fail when we need them the most. In the Old Testament, Abraham is known as the friend of God. Yet, he lied about his wife on numerous occasions. Uh, That's not what I'd expect from a friend. David was known as a man after God's own heart. I would consider that being a friend, Uh, but yet we know what he did with Bathsheba and Uriah, and that's not very God-friendly either. Jesus' friends were no exception. Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Peter, James, and John, they fell asleep on him in the garden when he needed them praying with him, needed their comfort for him. Peter himself denied Jesus three times in the courtyard. Our friendships with each other and our friendships with the Lord, they're far from being perfect because as much as we try, we're still going to fail. Jesus said in, first, or said in John 15, he says, As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you, be, if you obey my commandments, you will, you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and I remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know about his master's business, but instead I call you friends because everything I learned from my father I've made known to you. Jesus called them his friends. Jesus calls us his friends. His friendship is perfect. As long as we follow him, he will not sell us out. He will not go to sleep on us. He will not deny that he ever knew us. We can count on that. We can count on him. 1 John 3, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Romans 5. You see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more... Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Friendship with Jesus is a very powerful relationship. Greater love hath no man than that he lay down his life for his friends. That's exactly what Christ did for us. Because of that sacrifice, we're reconciled with God. We're saved from his wrath. We have a home waiting us in heaven when this life is over. 
because one of our friends died for us. Because the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, we know that we have a friend in Jesus beyond compare. As we participate in communion with our Lord this morning, let's remember his life, remember his love, remember his sacrifice, but let's also remember his perfect friendship. Will you bow with me, please? Father in heaven, we are so thankful for all that you've given us. We're thankful for the many blessings, the many benefits that we have through the sacrifice of your son. For the love that you showed us, the love that he showed us, allowing him to die on the cross. We're thankful, Father, that you've given us, given us this time each week uh, to remember him, to remember all that we have in him. Bless us, Father, as we take the bread. Help us to concentrate, to focus, to remember his body that was broken for each of us. Uh, so guide us now through this worship and guide us through this service. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Pray with me again, please. For the blood that was shed, Father, we can't thank you enough. That blood represents to us all that is wrong in our life. That blood flows through us, cleanses us of our sin, and we just can't thank you enough for that. Once again, Father, we concentrate on your son and for his death and just help us to, to focus our minds on him at this time. Bless us, Father, as we take through the vine which represents that blood. And bless us in our worship today. We pray in Christ's name. For as much as we have to be thankful for in the sacrifice of Jesus uh, and his broken body and his blood shed for us, salvation that we have through that sacrifice, we have more to be thankful for because we have all that we need. God has blessed us with so much. The clothes that we're wearing, the ability that we have just to be here, um, we need to recognize that everything we have comes from him. We uh, Typically, we would pass plates to take up an offering at this time. We 
have boxes in the back for that now, so you can drop your contribution in the box at the back on your way out. Would you play, pray with me one more time so we give thanks for what we have? Father, you're an awesome God. You, you give us so much. Not only, Father, for the sacrifice of your son, which is above and beyond the most important thing that we have, you've given us so much more. You've given each of us what we need to live comfortably, to survive in this world, to try to live the way you want us to live. Just help us to use the things that we have, Father, in your service. Help those around us. Um, to be an example, Father, with, with all that you've given us um, of your love and your concern. Bless our offering, Father. Uh, may the church grow because of it. Continue to bless each of us as we continue to serve you. Guide us now through the, the remainder of the service, through the remainder of the day, Father, and continue to bless us when we have a need. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 156, For Christ and the Church. And it's at this time that the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. We'll sing the first three verses. For Christ and the Church, there are voices. Praise as Invitation hymn this morning, number 389, let him have his way with thee, 389. 
Brother Christian. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. Welcome. Uh, the last Sunday of every month is a special Sunday for us. We, we make it a big Sunday. We are uh, we're going to worship uh, here. Uh, after worship here is over, we're going to go eat lunch together. Uh, and then we come back in uh, the auditorium here for uh, another service. And then afterwards we do some service projects. Today we're making bracelets uh, to send to... A variety of places we send. We're going to take some to Peru with us when we go. We're going to send some to Nigeria, um, a couple other places. And we're, we're going to also make some bread uh, to, to hand out to uh, new folks to our community or visitors or things like that. So be ready to get involved with that. These are some good opportunities for us to start plugging into the kingdom and making a difference. And so we're looking forward to that opportunity. But we do things like this every uh, Sunday on the last Sunday of every month. So we're looking forward to that opportunity to be together and to serve together today. man was walking down the road, and I don't know if he heard a voice in his head or if he could hear uh, everyone around him could hear, though there was, to my knowledge, no one around him. But the voice told him to go somewhere, and he did not want to go to this place. In fact, this place was where his enemies lived, his sworn enemies, men and women who had ridiculed his people, who had taken advantage of them who had murdered his friends and his family members and his, his people. But this voice told him to go to them and he was supposed to teach them. And he did not want to do this. In fact, this was the last thing that he wanted to do. And though he respected the voice, though he respected the name, he went the other direction. You are familiar with Jonah's story of course, you find it here in the Old Testament book that bears his name, Jonah. It's one of, it's a story of grace, isn't it? You don't have to read very far into Jonah's story to find this central theme, this thread that runs throughout this story is one of grace. Jonah tells God, no. Do you know how often that happens in the Old Testament? Not very often, especially not very often without repercussions, but Jonah is simply disciplined. People have died in the Old Testament for less than what Jonah has, has done here. The impudence that Jonah has had with God is very, very incredible at this point. A prophet who knows God, who knows Yahweh, but still refuses to do his will, is often disciplined harshly by God. Jonah doesn't, doesn't incur that wrath, at least not the full wrath. He, he is simply disciplined. He's swallowed by a big fish, and the fish even carries him to his, point, his port of destination, right? And it spits him out, probably less um, awkward or more awkwardly than, than the ship would have let him out on this beach. But it spits him out on the beach, and the voice again is heard telling Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach to them. And so you see grace even in Jonah's life, even in Jonah's part of his story. You find this incredible grace of God wanting to pull someone close to him. His, this guy, Jonah, knows God. He spent his life, I think, serving God. Um, this is not his first prophecy. 
Uh, he is a prophet that's known. He's well recognized. He's famous in Israel. He's the guy who said that Israel would expand its borders. And so he is Israel's favorite prophet, I would imagine, during his time frame. Though we're not told of a great many others. Um, so he's well known. He's famous in Israel, but he is told to go to Nineveh. And so in Jonah's story, you find immediately this idea of someone who is far away from God, though he thought he was close. He is actually far away. He knew how God would react to Nineveh, right? We know that from, from chapter 4. He was well aware that if the people repented, that God would, you remember, show grace, scandalous grace to the people who did not deserve it. People who would have otherwise, on any other given day, happily killed Jonah and all of his people. That was, in fact, their intention in life. Jonah and his reaction to God's command to go to Nineveh makes perfect sense, right? You would have reacted the same way, so would I, if we had been given the command to go teach people that would have murdered us in any other given setting. I think his reaction makes sense. It's not right, though. Sometimes we have reactions that aren't right. Jonah's reaction is not right. It's certainly not righteous, right? And so here you've got a story of a man who thinks he is close to God, but he's not. And God is trying to pull him closer, right? He uses the fish to do it. He uses the, the great big plant later to try to draw Jonah close to him. But even in Jonah's story, he's not the only one who is drawn to God, is he? The more famous, the ones that we think of more prominently that are drawn to God in Jonah's story are the Ninevites. They are admittedly far away from Yahweh. They don't want His rules. They don't like His people. In fact, this is the conquering nation who is right next door to Israel and they're trying to steal Israel's land. And if it takes killing some Israelites, if it takes some, some wars, they're okay with that. In fact, they're really good at wars and they're really good at stopping wars because... The price you pay as a prisoner of war to the Ninevites is way too high to have too many prisoners of war. They w were very, very cruel to the ones that they captured. And most of those did not escape. Jonah knows this coming into it, and so he does not want to go. And so God draws a prophet who thinks he's close to him uses this event to draw him close to himself, but he also uses this event to draw the Ninevites who are on the opposite side of the spectrum. They don't know God, and they don't really care anything about him. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you were invited here by a friend, and you're, you, kind of, you didn't grow up in church maybe, and this is your first time maybe here in a long time in any kind of church building. And maybe, so maybe that's you. Maybe you're kind of like, I don't understand what it's all about. Well, this is what it's all about. God loves to draw people who are far away from Him close. He wants to be friends with you. He wants the reconciliation that He once had with people in the Garden of Eden that we broke. He wants that friendship again. And in fact, He's gone out of His way to make that possible for us. And it's a thread you see throughout the Bible. Jonah is just one 
clear example of that, but there are multiple others. And you don't have to look far as you read through the, the book of Jonah to see God pulling Jonah close to him. He also pulls the Ninevites close to him, doesn't he? He gives them 40 days to repent, and they do. As a nation, they do. All the way from the king to the lowest servant, they repent. And what happens? God shows them grace. He's pulled them close to himself. And at that point, they're friends again. It's really incredible, right? Flip, flip over to Psalm chapter 117. This is the passage Andrew read for us earlier. And it's just really a very unique psalm. It's only two verses long. That's, that's kind of odd in and of itself. That ought to grab your attention right off the bat that this psalm is so, so very short. Many psalms are quite long. You're familiar, of course, with Psalm 119. It's the longest of the psalms. But a lot, a lot of them cover a good bit of space. But this one's very, very tiny, but it's power-packed. Good, sometimes good things come in small packages, right? Ladies, you ever had a, a Christmas gift or a birthday gift, and it's in this ring-sized box, and you got excited, you open it up, and it's like a pair of Tic Tacs or something, you know? Sometimes good things come in small boxes, and this is one of those power-packed passages. Psalm 117, listen to it again, because I would just bet that you missed the power in this psalm the first time, because I did, and the second time, and the tenth time. But you keep on reading through this psalm, and something stands out to you that you'll notice now once we point it out. Listen to it again. Psalm 117, verse 1. He says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. What's the emphasis? Who is praising God? Who is extolling His name? Who are the ones who are called to worship Him? It's not the Jewish people. It's not just the Jewish people. Psalms are the Jewish songbook. They're also the Jewish prayer book. They were written as prayers, but they would later turn into songs. Uh, David wrote a great many of them, right? About half of them are written by David. And they're, they're songs, but they're also prayers. And so there's this beautiful opportunity for God via the Holy Spirit to tell us how to pray to Him. It's really, really beautiful, right? But in Psalm 117, he's not talking just to the Jewish people. It's kind of impressive, right? He's, he's stepping outside of Israel's borders again. Just like he did in Jonah's day, he's stepping outside of Israel's borders to welcome in all people. Now this is a, another, this is maybe our word for today, scandalous. This is another scandalous event that's happening in Israel. This scandalous grace where God's welcoming in all people. Because to the Jewish people, they were God's covenant people. They were the ones that God had made the deal with. They were in the, they were in the agreement with God. And everyone else were, were Gentiles. Whether you were from this part of the world or that part or that part. If you weren't from Jerusalem, if you weren't a Jewish person, it didn't matter where you were from or what language you spoke or what you were outside God's covenant. So they were special, right? They were God's people. But in Psalm 117, he says, I've always wanted everyone, I've always wanted the entire world to come to me. And once they come, once we all come to him, our obligation, our responsibility, our joy is to 
worship him. Listen to what he says in verse 2. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Right? That once all the people come, once all the nations praise him, you've got to ask, why are we praising him? Well, we're praising him because of this love that refuses to quit. My translation says steadfast love. It's a love that refuses to quit. He refuses to give up on us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures for a little bit, endures for your life, endures for how forever. Right? It's a love that refuses to quit. He's chasing after you. Now, do you have the do you have the opportunity to turn away? Yeah, you do, don't you? You could do that. You could choose that route, couldn't you? You could turn away from him and not accept, right? You couldn't. You you have that opportunity uh, to to turn away and not accept him, right? That's certainly what the Ninevites could have done. It's certainly what Jonah did, right? So you certainly have that opportunity, but it's not in your best interest at all, is it? Back to Psalm 117, once the people praise him, they praise him because of his great steadfast love and his faithfulness. You also notice there toward the end of verse 2, and you also notice at the beginning of verse 1, this idea of praise the Lord. It's, it, he begins the psalm in this way, and he ends the psalm in this way. It's not like they had forgotten what had happened one and a half verses earlier. He doesn't have to say it again, but he does because it's the central foundation of this psalm. Praise the Lord. This is something that they needed to understand. But the Jewish people and we need to understand it's not just for them. He's always wanted the entire world to come to him. Maybe this scene on the screen behind me is the one that Jonah saw as he was uh, spit out of the, the, the fish's belly. And he looks out and he sees the city that's laid before him. A city that needs help. A city that's far away from, from God. Maybe it's the scene the psalmist looks out of his window and he sees. And it's at that point that the Holy Spirit inspires him to write that all peoples, all nations should be coming to the Father. Because that's what he, that's what he wants. That's his heart. Have you ever seen someone do something and thought, now, I understand your heart now. I understand what motivates you now. This is what motivates God. That all people come to him, that, that we put aside our selfishness, that we put aside all the things that, that we're interested in, and that we long after his kingdom. That's what he's always wanted. You see it time and time again in the Old Testament. You also see it in the New Testament, of course. Acts chapter 10. Flip over there with me real quick. Acts chapter 10. Peter is the one that, that's being focused on in this section <clears throat> of, uh, of Acts. Let's read the first couple of verses here in Acts chapter 10. 
He says at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with his whole household, who gave alms generously to all people and prayed fervently to God. Here's a good man. Uh, Cornelius is a good man. In fact, he's become a proselyte. He is he's converted to Judaism. Uh, and so he's, he's worked his way into this covenant, this agreement, this deal between God and the Jewish people. He's, he's wanted in on that agreement. And now he's going to get a brand new agreement, a better one. And his family gets to be the first one, the first Gentiles to come into the kingdom. Verse 3 says, About the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at, stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with, Simon, with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who had attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, what's going on in Joppa? Because he's told his guys to go over to Joppa and find a guy named Simon Peter. He's living in this, this house with Simon, who's a tanner. You find the ocean, you find this guy's house. And so what's going on there? So transport your mind from Cornelius over to Joppa and figure out what's going there, what's going on in that house. Peter's on the rooftop, right? And he's praying. I don't know what he's praying for, but he's praying and he's gets this vision from God. And this, this sheet is let down and inside the sheet, you remember, it's got all kinds of animals in it. And God, the voice says, uh, rise up and eat. And Peter says, whoa, Lord, I've, I've never eaten any of these things. These things are unclean, right? Under the Mosaical law in the Old Testament, the Jewish people couldn't eat certain foods. Um, they were considered unclean. And, and some of the animals in this sheet are unclean. And so God is telling Peter, a good Jewish man now, to, to rise and kill and eat some things that are unclean. And Peter doesn't know what to do with this. <laughs> um, you can almost... You can almost see Peter's mind working in overdrive, right? Uh, he kind of doesn't know where to go or what to say, but Peter's always got something to say. And so the first thing he says is, no, Lord, <laughs> which is really a bad idea. And, and so he says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, you don't get to call unclean what I've already cleaned. And so it's at that point that Peter's mind starts working through the ramifications of this new deal of this new agreement between God and man. He's, he's not focused anymore on the Mosaical Law. In fact, it's, it's died now. And it's not a way to get out of your sin. It's not a way to get close to God. It's, there's no friendship with God under the Mosaical Law anymore. And so Peter is figuring that out through this vision. And then all of a sudden... He gets a knock on his door and the servant walks up the stairs. He says, hey, Peter, there's a guy here that wants to talk to you. Uh, he wants you to go to Cornelius, a centurion, a Roman. And he wants you to have a Bible study with him. And so Peter's got to be confused at this point, but where God leads, you follow. And so he goes, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And so he, he ends up at Cornelius' house and they have the Bible study. And a Roman centurion is 
the first Gentile to come into God's new kingdom because that's what he's always wanted. He's wanted people who are far away from him. You don't get a whole lot farther in the first century than a Roman centurion. He's always wanted people who are far away from him to come. He wants them. He wants us to be close to him. And so whether you're a, a good person who tries to live a good life, who has good morals, or whether you're someone who is admittedly far away from God and, and lives in rebellion to him and, and doesn't care about his laws, he wants you to come close to him, to be reconciled back to him, to enjoy the intimacy that we enjoyed as mankind with him in the garden. That's his heart. That's what he wants. That's what he longs for. Let me take you to another verse, Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Again, Peter, uh, he's written this, this letter to the churches in the area. This is about 30 years after um, that, that sighting, that vision that he had in Acts chapter 10. And he's talking about uh, the end of time when, when Jesus comes back and he gets everybody uh, and, and carries, uh, carries us to heaven. And judgment day happens and, and everyone is separated sheep on this side and goats on that side. He's talking about that, that moment and how people seem to think that maybe God's promise isn't going to come true. Maybe he's not coming back. And Peter wants to deal with that. So you need to see that as well. Let's start in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. He says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness. He's not, he's, not, he's not putting this off. He's not procrastinating coming back. At least not the way you think and for the reasons you might be thinking that He's putting this off. And so why is He putting this off, Peter? Why has He not already come? Because the apostles including Peter, including Paul, in the first century, thought that Jesus was coming back very, very soon. Uh, in fact, the Thessalonian church, one, uh, one of the ones that Paul founded, was so sure that Jesus was coming back very soon that they all quit their jobs and they just kind of hung out uh, as a church and, and made those relationships and, 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 and lived with each other. And Paul says, you, you kind of, you, that's great, but you, you need a job so you can support your family and things like that. And so... All that to say, when, when is he coming back? Well, why is he putting this off so long, Peter? He's not slow, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There's his heart. Do you see, do you see God's heart there? That's, that's what motivates him. That's, that's why he's done everything, so that one more person can come to him. Because... His goal in this life is for those who are far away from Him to come close, to be reconciled back. An easy way to think about reconciliation, because that's a Bible word. We don't, we don't use very much. We don't think like that anymore. But an easy way to think of reconciliation is to make friends again. He's looking to make friends with people again, but He can't because there's something in the way. Our sin has gotten in the way, hasn't it? If you remember from Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says there's an awful lot of people that aren't going to 
be reconciled with God. They're not going to be God's friends because they just refuse. Look here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. He says there's an awful lot of people out there, your friends, your neighbors, maybe you, hopefully not you, but maybe you that are far away from God. And he says it's awfully easy to walk down that path. If you're not fighting for your faith, it might not be legitimate, real faith. Right? He says the way that leads to destruction is easy and there's an awful lot of people that are walking down that path. And so what do I need to do to follow Jesus? What do I have to do to be saved? Well, what's it mean to follow him? The first thing it means is salvation, right? It means salvation to follow God. Look what he says in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Absolutely, right? Is that sufficient? Is that enough? Is confession with your mouth and believing in your heart, is that enough to be saved? Because the demons believe, right? James says in James chapter 1 that even the demons believe that God is, is real, right? And they tremble. They know that there's judgment coming. They believe that he's there, right? There's not a, beyond a shadow of a doubt, they know that he is real. And that there's judgment day coming. And if you remember the demons that met Jesus, did they ever confess him as Christ? Did they ever confess him as Lord? Yeah, a lot of them did, right? If you remember the one in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 5, a legion, he, he comes out and calls him. Lord, and, and several of the demons do. And so is confession and belief enough? Would any of us say that the demons have been saved? Are, are there going to be demons in heaven? Certainly not. And so while this passage is true, it is not all that we need to do to be saved. I would encourage you, challenge you today to go back through and look at all the scriptures that talk about salvation and do all those things. Right? Find a concordance and look up every reference in the New Testament that talks about salvation and then do those things. Here's what you're going to find. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 uh, is, is the next bit, the next step here. It's not the last one, but it is the next one. Um, this is what Peter is trying to get people who are far away from God to see that they need to come close to Him. Here's how you come close to Him because right now there's a barrier, there's a wall between you and him, and that wall can't be broken down. You can't break it down. He has to break it down, but you play a part in that breaking down of the wall. Here's, here's how we do that. Here's what he does when we do that. Verse 37, Peter's talking. Again, Peter, right, is talking to some of the guys that were there who had murdered Christ. They're in the crowd that day, and he has convinced them that Jesus really is the Messiah, that he is God in the flesh, and that they had murdered him. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I mean, can you hear the emphasis in their voices? They are they're lost. They don't know what to do. What shall we do? Peter said to them in verse 38, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. People who wanted to know how to be saved asked an apostle who was inspired by the Spirit what to do to be saved. And he told them, repent and be baptized. These two thoughts are connected, aren't they? You can't repent and just repentance alone won't save you, will it? It's at the point of baptism that we're saved. Baptism when you go underneath the water for the purpose of the remission of your sins. First Peter, again, First Peter. Peter keeps coming up in this lesson, doesn't he? Let's just follow him throughout Scripture. First uh, Peter chapter 3. Verse 20, listen to what he says about baptism again. Again, 30 years later, after this day uh, in Acts chapter 2, he writes this letter. He says, because they formerly did not obey, he's talking about the people in the flood, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which, that is, a few, uh, eight persons were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, the safety that they found in the, in the ark, baptism is, is like that. He says it. Baptism now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is the, is the point at which God washes away your sins. Not before. It's at the point of baptism that you interact with salvation, that you are saved. Not before. That's, that's what Peter said through the Holy Spirit. So, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, first of all, it means salvation. We have to do salvation God's way because this is one of God's things. I can't save myself. I can't save you. You have to do salvation God's way. And so I have to walk through his way of thinking about that. And so he says that belief, confession, repentance, baptism is what now saves me. So I need to do those things. And if I haven't done those things, I need to do those things today before it's too late. But one of the other things that it means to follow Jesus is sacrifice. Why is he carrying this cross? Where is he headed to? Well, there's no, he's not headed to get coffee, is he? He's not, he's not headed to lunch. Where is he carrying the cross? He's going to die, right? They're leading him to his death. In Luke chapter 9... When Luke says, you need to pick up your cross every day and follow after him, that's what he's saying. That you need to sacrifice yourself to kill all the things in you that don't look like him. The things that are pushing you farther and farther away from God. There's some things that are getting in your way, aren't they? Even after your baptism, there's still some things that get in our way of being close to God. And he says, you need, you need to kill those things. You need to sacrifice those things so that you can be close to him. You need to make that sacrifice. And sacrifice is part of this life. Let me read to you the last verse. Re Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 10. As John writes to one of the churches... Uh, in the first century, he says these words, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. They're about to undergo some significant persecution. Many of them will die. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days, 
you will have tribulation for, for an extended period of time, for a long time is what he's saying. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And so that's, that's the sacrifice that we're talking about today. Faithfulness all the way to death. To choose him every single day over me. To choose him every single day over my selfishness and my greed and my pride. And all these things that get in my way of being close to him, of being friends with him. I need to make some sacrifices, don't I? This morning, if you haven't been saved, let's do it the biblical way. Let's be friends with God. Let's be reconciled back to Him, but we have to do it His way. We have to be immersed in the water for the purpose of the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, we are saved, not before. Maybe you've already made that decision and you just need some help. You need some prayers uh, for walking a life that's pleasing to Him. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Good morning, Turk family. Hope everybody's doing all right. If you are visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with, with us this morning. Uh, please take a moment to fill out a visitor card so we can have a record of you, uh, of you being here with us this morning. Um, a couple announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder that uh, today is Potluck, Church Eat Church. Um, we'll be heading after services, after the closing prayer, we'll be heading to the fellowship hall. We'll say a prayer in the fellowship hall. 
uh, for the meal, and, um, and we'll fellowship with one another. Um, so it sounds like a lot of fun. Um, so pl- everyone is invited to that. Please stick around for that. Also, uh, this evening at 6 o'clock will be a college-age cookout at the Miller's house. Um, if you don't know where the Millers live, I'm sure they can give you directions because I'm pretty sure they know where they live. Y'all know where you live? Out there around the holler. Um, but uh, they can tell you where they live or you can meet Sam uh, Moore here at 530 and you can follow him. Uh, food will be provided for this event. Also, Wednesday, August 3rd, will be Stepping Stones Dinner. Spaghetti will be on the menu. And there's also an elders meeting before that, so if you need to see the elders about anything, please see them before Wednesday. Also, ladies' Bible class will start back uh, this coming Thursday, August 4th. Uh, Classes will start at 10 o'clock, so all ladies are welcome to come to the ladies' Bible class. Um, Also... uh, Father and sons, uh, get your sleeping bags together, um, get your fishing poles together. Um, There's a father and son camp out. If you have not signed up, please sign up before you leave today. Um, It's a lot of fun. We we cook hot dogs over the the fire, s'mores, if you like s'mores, we do that. Um, Some kind of pie that Gary makes, Uh, it's really good. Uh, He'll make, make everybody one. Um, <laughs> and he will too but uh, it's a lot of fun I do encourage uh, all fathers and sons to get involved in that so far we have 18 signed up for it um, so and this is for pretty much all ages too because um, we just love to have you and love to fellowship with one another uh, what an opportunity to uh, spend time with your, with your children um, also, August 6th, uh, next, Saturday, or next Saturday, will be the Fort Hill Gathering at the Leap's House, um, and then we'll meet here Sunday morning. We usually have probably about uh, 30 kids here from Fort Hill, um, uh, so remember to keep uh, all those kids in your prayers as they travel here for, on Saturday to Sunday. And also, we are taking um, donations for Matt McBriar. Uh, he's the minister at Cerrito Church of Christ. Uh, he got into a, a terrible car accident. I don't know if you've seen it on our Facebook page, on the prayer page, but he's uh, flipped his car several times. Um, we are taking donations to help them buy another vehicle. So if you want to help out with that, please see Christy McAllister today before you leave because we're going to try to get that mailed off first thing Monday morning. Remember to keep the uh, Pittman and the Carver and the Allen family in your prayers. At the passing of Wanda Allen, she passed away Saturday. Uh, she was a mother, a grandmother, great-grandmother, and uh, she was surrounded by her family at her passing. Um, so remember to keep this family in your prayers as they grieve. Grieving is never easy, so remember to uh, uh, keep them in your prayers. Arrangements have not been made yet, but as soon as we hear something, we'll post it on our webpage. Mary, continue to keep Lisa Bassin in your prayers and Hank Picklesheimer as they're dealing with COVID. Remember to keep Jim Haney and Sandy Galloway and Jennifer Baker as, as they're going through cancer treatments at this time. Remember to continue to keep, uh, it's good to see Vicki Bowen here with us this morning, and uh, remember to continue to keep her in your prayers and keep Maxine Romine in your prayers as well. She's been in the hospital since Monday, so keep Maxine in your prayers at this time. That's all the announcements I have. 
Uh, as a reminder, we'll have one o'clock service and no six o'clock service. This evening, we'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let us all please stand again. We'll sing hymn, hymn number 947, Jesus, Let Us Come to Know You. And after this, Brother Jackson Stevens will have our closing prayer. Jesus, Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for this great day that you've given us, and thank you for all the rain to help all the plants that you've made, Lord. Uh, please help us to all have a great rest of the week. Um, please bless the food that we're about to eat to our nourishment. Uh, please be with Matt as he recovers from his car accident, and all the families who have lost loved ones who are struggling with COVID and cancer, and please be with anyone in the hospital, Lord. Please help us all to drive home safely and help all of those who are struggling with flooding, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.